Girlfriends, episode number 83. What is a Catholic feminist? Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. Today we're talking about finding balance in the midst of end of summer chaos, raising Catholic kids, connecting with girlfriends, and what on earth we mean by Catholic feminism. It's going to be a good one. Stay tuned. Here we go. Hey, girlfriends. How are you? Welcome to another episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. I'm happy that you're here. I'm happy to be connecting with you in this way. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm recording this pretty early in the morning on Monday because I've got a full day, full on day ahead. And it's just not stopping. I, I don't know about you, but the end of summer brings its own level of chaos for me. You know, we kind of get settled into a new normal, which is abnormal, our summer routine. And then stuff starts creeping in in the month of August. We start thinking a little bit about school and there's scrambles for that. Some of the school sports are starting up. Um, you know, and then also there's that feeling like, okay, my big boys are going to be going back to school and we need to fit everything in all the stuff. Like we didn't get to everything, right? I don't know if you're feeling that way, but I, I am especially this summer because it's been especially busy. Um, I feel like I've been especially distracted this summer with, um, supporting Dan as he's opening his business, which has been great. And I was just talking with him about it last night because, it has been a sacrifice, and I'm trying very hard to not focus on the fact that it's changed our summer in some negative ways. You know, we never got to the beach this summer, and looking ahead, I don't think we're going to. I mean, we live at the lake, so, I mean, we have the lake beach. I'm totally spoiled, but I just mean we didn't get to the ocean together as a family. Usually, we make, you know, at least a couple of trips. It's not far at all um, to get to the main coast, but we didn't do that, and I was feeling bad about that, but you know what? It's so dumb because you can choose what to focus on. I can choose what to focus on. I can choose to focus on the negative of um, us having spent our summer this way and of uh, beginning dance business, which has been great. I mean, super great. Or I can focus on the positive of this accomplishment, this thing that we're working on together that's um, really been very positive, you know. So I get to choose <laughs> and I'm trying to remind myself of that. But in the midst of that, I find myself thinking a lot about balance. I think this is a word that's really loaded for us women, especially. Um, it's in that intro to every podcast, right? I'm promising you, I'm going to give you peace, balance, and joy in family living. What does that mean? And so I've been thinking a lot about it because I feel like I'm struggling for it. Like as we're going through these different transitions, as I'm preparing myself for the fact that my oldest son is making a trip to Israel, um, his own thing, traveling on his own with very little uh, international experience, even with a group of people, he's planned this trip and it is super important to him. Trust me, I did my best to encourage him to do it in another way, to travel with a group, to bring a friend, to, I don't know. Um, It's been a little tough uh, reconciling his choice to do that. I mean, I think it's really great and he's motivated to um, go to the Holy Land and it's really important to him. And I'm trying to focus on that rather than the stuff I can't control. But as I'm looking ahead to that, just feeling um, 
kind of unbalanced with regard to our daily schedules and wanting to be able to spend time with him before he does that, before he goes to school and feeling pulled in a lot of directions. I think every mom experiences that. I don't, you know, I don't care how many kids you have. Every mom gets that feeling of being pulled in multiple directions. And how do you balance that? You know, we have multiple legitimate needs, big kids, little kids, work, marriage, friends, parish, whatever. We have these multiple responsibilities and they're all good things and we want to do a good job of them. And I think that's part of what leads to us feeling unbalanced because we want to be, you know, the the best or we want to do our very best, give our very best. And that's great. I mean, that's a great motivation that we have as women, that natural generosity, personal generosity that we we lean toward. But it can lead to that feeling of just being unbalanced. So I've been thinking a lot about that word. And I came to the conclusion that it's just a big fat lie. Like nobody's balanced. Like I I set up that as an ideal in my head. Like, oh, one day if I just keep adjusting my schedule and, you know, working hard here, working hard there and I'm going to achieve that perfect balance, you know, and I picture myself like when I'm visualizing this, like the perfect balance, like the perfect moment, the your your photo moment, right? Like, you know how hard it is if you've ever been in a wedding, like smile and just be on the whole time. Like that doesn't last. <laughs> You're, there's an expiration date on that natural smile. And um, I, I picture the balance ideas like trying to achieve that photo moment, you know, perfection. Everything's in its place and everything has a place and everybody's happy and there's peace in all the corners of my life and I'm doing everything well. And that is a fantasy. I mean, real life is always a jumble of different responsibilities. And some seasons are more busy than others. That's for sure true. But it's always balancing responsibilities, balancing our work, choosing how we're going to spend our time. And if you're paying attention to one thing, guess what? You're not balanced you're neglecting another thing. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I should just say, you know, you're not focused on another thing at that at that point. And really, our lives are a series of focuses, focusing here, focusing there, focusing there and choosing the order in which we're going to do that and the schedule with which we're going to do that. And you never are going to achieve at least I'm not tell me if you do because I will want to know your secrets. But I am never going to achieve perfect balance in all the different responsibilities of my life. And that's part of what I want to come to terms with. You know, that other word in the intro, peace. That's that's how you get to that peace. I know it's true because the times in my life where I have learned to accept that there's not going to be that balance and learned to kind of humbly just receive God's will for you know, my life plan at the moment, like this is all I can do right now. And I need to be at peace with that. Uh, Those are the times when I feel that peace. Those are the times when I, you know, whatever that word balance means to you, those are the times that I feel that in, in the best possible way. So I don't know if you have thoughts to share about balance. Are you balanced this end of summer? Are you struggling this end of summer? Are you dreading the school year starting? You know, as a homeschooler, now I'm a very part-time homeschooler. Um, I'm only going to have two kids who are home full-time this coming year. Um, I used to dread the start of the school year. I mean, I never was a natural homeschooler. I, uh, it was such a burdensome responsibility for me, but it was what we decided each year was best for our family yet again. Um, 
and the years where I was schooling multiple kids were so tough for me in the fall because after a summer of freedom, I was taking on all these new schedules and responsibilities and it just really felt so burdensome to me. You might be in that place right now or maybe you are in the place where you're counting down the days to school. Like I remember being a homeschooler and my friends who would send their kids to school, um, some of them were really looking forward to the start of school because they would have their time back where their kids were uh, away for a good chunk of the day. And um, I remember being envious of that. Like what on earth? I can't even imagine. But um, whatever place you're finding yourself in this fall, it's not fall yet. It's still summer. Enjoy your summer. Um, that this end of summer season, I, I hope and I pray that you will find some sense of that kind of balance I'm talking about. Give me your feedback about what kind of balance you're experiencing or lack of balance and um, what works for you in that area of your life. Send me an email, danielle at daniellebean.com or connect with me on Voxer or any of the number of ways available in the show notes at daniellebean.com. Okay, so this week, I have the pleasure of sharing with you a recent conversation I had with Claire Swinarski. Claire is host of the Catholic Feminist Podcast, and that's what we're talking about this week. Just what on earth is a Catholic feminist? What do we mean by those loaded words anyway? Take a listen and find out. Hello, everybody. It's a great day here at Girlfriends because we have the pretty great Claire Swinarski joining us today. Claire Swinarski is a writer, wife, and a mom living in Wisconsin. After spending two years as a focused missionary, she began writing for outlets like The Washington Post, Seventeen Magazine, Bridal Guide, and many more. She currently writes for the popular wedding website Style Me Pretty and hosts the Catholic Feminist Podcast, where guests discuss women, the church, and everything in between. Welcome to Girlfriends, Claire. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So, okay, you, you've you started this podcast, the Catholic Feminist Podcast. Maybe we can start just there so people can get, you know, people who aren't familiar with you can get a feel for what, what you're doing um, with the podcast there, what, what your work involves. Um, how did you get started? What inspired you? And how's it been going? Sure. So I love podcasts. I just love having something to listen to while I'm like doing the dishes or on a walk with my son or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I was really looking for a podcast for Catholic women that had to do with social justice. And really, I just couldn't find one. And I kept thinking like, when is someone going to make one? I have all these guests that would be awesome. And I was just waiting and waiting and (laughs) no one ever made one. And I had had kind of a bad day of freelancing. I just had a difficult client and I told my husband, I'm going to start a podcast for Catholic women. I need like a creative outlet to do for fun. And he's like, oh, are you going to start it in like the next few months? And I was like, nope, I started today. I made a website today. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And so I just kind of took it and ran from there. And it's been a blast. I get to interview these amazing Catholic women and hear about their stories and try to motivate other people. And it's been an awesome experience so far. I've been absolutely loving it. Wonderful. So you've been podcasting since March and is it a weekly podcast? It is. It's every Wednesday we interview a different Catholic woman. And something that I love is we have women from all walks of life. Mm -hmm. Um, Like we have some kind of big name Catholic speakers that most people have heard of, like Abby Johnson and Mm -hmm. Lisa Cotter and Audrey Assad. But then I also have my friends on sometimes. That's great. (laughs) Just have really cool stories. I mean, our number one listen to podcast episode is with my best friend from college talking about how to be a Catholic woman in a secular work environment. So I found that people really resonate with kind of those 
everyday stories, not just people who are like professional Catholics. So that's been pretty cool. Oh, that is so great. And that that just really jives with what we do here at Girlfriends. It's really about girlfriends getting together, encouraging and supporting one another. Now, your podcast is called the Catholic Feminist Podcast. Some people are going to hear that and say, what is she talking about? (laughs) Maybe you can (laughs) help us to understand because that is such a loaded word. Oh my gosh. I I can't think of a more loaded word than the word feminist in today's culture. It is such a loaded word, but I have always been a feminist by my definition of that word, which I define it as people who believe that women and men are of equal worth and equal dignity. And I mean, when I was growing up, my mom was all about girl power and being a woman. She took me when I was in fifth grade to Seneca Falls to see where the first ever women's rights convention was held. And we would go see like where Susan B. Anthony lived, where Elizabeth Blackwell was buried, like all these amazing women. So I really grew up with this strong feminist sense. Um, But then in college, I fell in love with Jesus and I really grew in my Catholic faith. I'd always been Catholic, but I hadn't really um, been practicing. I hadn't, I kind of worded as I hadn't known the person of Jesus until Mm -hmm. college. Um, And kind of at that time, I started to realize that people didn't want me in the feminist movement. Um, The people that I knew who were feminists really rejected a lot of what I thought. And they took the word feminist and made it mean something that I didn't believe it meant. Mm -hmm. And so I've always had kind of this strong feminist sense. And when I was a focus missionary for two years, I met so many young women who were like proud feminists, but they felt kind of rejected by either their church culture for being feminist Mm -hmm. or from their friends for being Catholic. And so it was really frustrating. It was like, where do I fit in? Because I know that these things are true, but I don't really see anyone passionate about them. Like, where are the Catholics when it comes to like the pay gap? Where are the Catholics when it comes to maternity leave? Like we should be at the forefront of these things. And I met so many girls who who felt that way and I really, really resonated with that. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where the idea of Catholic feminists came in. I mean, I believe that the Catholic Church is the most feminist institution there is because the Catholic Church loves women and supports women every step of the way. And I right. think if you take the time to learn about why the church teaches what it teaches, mm-hmm. anyone can see that. But I think that that phrase just kind of scares people. You're right. They it does. Either Catholic or feminist and something and that makes people want to run away. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. So you're getting attention either way, right? But I think you're right that some people hear that word feminist even inside the church and some people who would 100% agree with you about everything that you're standing for and yet they reject that word because they associate it with somebody burning their bras or with the pro-choice movement. Um, so I, I think that's understandable inside of our culture, but I I love that you're reclaiming it because that's something I personally have always felt a call to do too. I want to be a feminist. I want to be pro-woman and pro-child and pro-life and pro-family and pro-marriage that, you know, pro-woman goes right along with all of those things. And if you're following the teachings of the church, especially St. John Paul II, who we'll get to him in a minute because I know (laughs) know he's your boyfriend too, like he's my boyfriend. Um, (laughs) But I, I love that he gives us that opportunity to embrace the church's teachings, which are so pro-woman. It's like the most beautiful feminist treatise there is, is to read the words of John Paul II, especially inside of Theology of the Body. Like, what a beautiful thing it is. What an honor. What what a beautiful privilege it is to be a woman and all that that entails. And then the twisted way our culture gets it wrong. Exactly. It is so interesting to me to see the conversation happening now because I feel like 
the secular feminist movement is going to meet a crossroads and they're eventually going to see the air of their ways because they're simultaneously trying to be pro-woman and yay woman. But at the same time, they're saying there's nothing about women that makes us special. There's nothing unique about women. And you cannot have both of those ideas. Eventually, one of them is going to win out. I'm interested to see where it goes because I think anyone looking at that logically kind of sees the foreclosure. <laughs> right. And, you know, and I think people can see it logically, but also I think that women feel it in their hearts. Like we know in our hearts what the truth is. We know that we're called to greatness. We know that being a woman is a beautiful thing and that we're all called to motherhood. We feel that. Like even people who can't put words to it or never would know that in their heart of hearts. So I think that, you know, it's one of the saddest parts of our culture. And maybe you can speak to this a little bit where our culture is telling women, you know, to be successful, be like a man. You know, being equal means being the same, not not, you know, highlighting any differences or particular strengths that women have. What's been your experience with that inside of the culture? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, It kind of reminds me of a podcast episode we did with Jane Velker, who's with Focus, about the differences between um, men and women leaders. And she had really great things to say about how women are totally capable of leadership and are sometimes called to lead. But we need to do it in our way with what makes us women. Like women are naturally going to be more relational. Women are naturally more servant hearted. Okay, but you can still lead with those traits. You know, it makes me think of Joan of Arc. I mean, she served her country by being a total amazing warrior. Right. Um, And, you know, on the other end, we have Therese of Lisieux, like who was such a little flower and she served people every day as well. And so it can look these really different ways. Um, and I think that that's sometimes where our church culture needs to wake up a little bit because sometimes I think we get that vision in our head of what the good Catholic woman looks like mm-hmm. when there's so many ways for people to look like a good Catholic woman. There's so many ways to serve and to love and to lead. And you don't necessarily have to have a certain personality for that or like be homeschooling your eight children. I mean, if that's what you want to do, that's awesome. But not every single person is called to that um Mm -hmm. and in terms of being different from men yeah I'm I'm definitely of the camp that thinks that women can do so much of what men do obviously I think women can be doctors and lawyers and all of those things but it just might look a little different because of you know women's nature and that's what John Paul II wrote about a lot that special nature that we have can come out and I think that we need male and female of every occupation. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that, you know, you you pointing out that, you know, John Paul II's, you know, teachings really highlight those unique strengths that women have and that we're called to use them in the workplace. That was actually the first time I heard that was when I was reading his teachings like, "Oh, I don't have to apologize or feel like I'm less than or hide the fact that I'm a working woman, that I'm contributing to the workforce. And, you know, I I say this as a, a I was a stay at home mom for, you know, 15 plus years. And so I know both of those worlds. And then I know that I I experienced sort of a conflict without ever really recognizing it in my own life and in my own like community and probably mostly in my own head. You know, I don't think people were judging me either way, but I I think that I was feeling like, okay, good Catholic wife looks like this, you know, Mm -hmm. good Catholic mom looks like this. And these things are kind of in opposition to that. Or I can be a good Catholic wife and mom in spite of the fact that I'm working outside the home. You know, well, no, I mean, that's part of who, you know, some of us are, part of what we're called to do. And you're so right that everybody's going to be different and that it's so important that we get together as women and encourage and affirm those differences while also highlighting those things that we have in common. 
Definitely. Um, there's a really great blog post on them. Um, do you ever read wholeparentingfamily.com? Yes. Nell's blog. She had one that was all over my Facebook feed a while ago now, but it was basically saying like, don't feel bad for moms who work because a lot of moms want to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like A lot of moms feel very fulfilled doing that. It's not like that's a lesser vocation by any means. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's so true. And we need to, we need to empower women in what they're called to do. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to, like, focusing on your own paper, you know, like the teachers always told us to do. And yet, we're so tempted to look around and say, Oh, that's what a holy woman looks like. Or that's, that's, you know, her call to holiness. So I'm probably doing something wrong here. Or, you know, even I think part of, you know, what's so sad about our culture is that even I experienced inside of the workplace, a kind of pressure that um, to maybe not be so feminine, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying, especially in inside of um, the publishing world. Some parts of it are competitive. Some parts of it are, you know, they're they're powerful people. And inside of that world, I felt so sometimes really out of place with my feminine perspective. But I have struggled, but I'm getting there. Kind of seen like, well, maybe God's putting me here because He wants a feminine voice here, a uniquely feminine voice in this place. That's a hard thing to come to terms with. It's hard to get comfortable with that, don't you think? Exactly. I remember in college, I interned for a political figure and literally every single person in the office was a man except me. (laughs) And sometimes it is so uncomfortable, even with small things like I had a pink water bottle. That sounds stupid, but I like literally they would make fun of my pink water bottle and it was kind of obnoxious. And then at the same time, it's like what you were saying. I mean, God wanted a female voice there. He wanted me there at that time. And also, I think there's part of the responsibilities on me to just not care. I mean, people are going to say things and make fun of you for things and put pressure on you for things. But, you know, we obviously don't live to please these other people. We live for God. And I think we forget so often that Jesus told us in the Bible that people were going to reject us and hate on us. And it's it's kind of disheartening sometimes to see how frustrated my friends can get when they face opposition in the world because it's like, yeah, you're not of the world. Of course Mm -hmm. you're going to get opposition. Of course people are going to get mad at you. Jesus told you that was going to happen. So I have to remind myself of that a lot when I feel pressured to lower my femininity or to make my femininity look a certain way, just to remind myself that I'm only living out my gender to please God. I'm not trying to please the world. I'm not trying to please my church community even. I'm only trying to please God. Right. That's such an important point because um, ultimately some of us are, all of us in some way, shape or form, and if we're authentically trying to live out Christian lives, we're going to stand out. We're going to be uncomfortable. We're not going to fit in. And that stinks sometimes. It really does because we sometimes all we want is to fit in. And sometimes I'll read that passage about like, you know, a city set on a hill. That's what, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I do not want to be a city set on a hill. Like, right. I, I don't want to be shining Put me under men. the bushel. <laughs> yes, I would like to be under the bushel. That seems like a very comfortable, safe place to be. And yet you're right. It's right there. Jesus told us. He didn't hide any of it from us that we're going to be uncomfortable but and I think it really it really does take kind of a lifetime of becoming comfortable with who you are getting through that discomfort and then just 
being who you are. I mean, I like that you pointed out the whole pink water bottle thing. Like, it's stupid. But those are the little things that we feel like, oh, this is making me stand out. I, I'm, you know, I, I just want to fit in in this this situation. And, and in a way that really denies who we are. Not not that, you know, a pink water bottle is necessarily an integral part of your identity. But, you know, that it's a natural part of your feminine experience to, you know, possess things that are feminine. Like, and when you thought, when you said it, I thought of a time when I was in a, a business meeting that was all men and me and one other woman and um I had like painted fingernails and nobody else there did and I just felt like I feel ridiculous with these painted fingernails right here you know not that they were unprofessional or anything but I just I I had to really get comfortable with the idea that I'm a woman it's okay to be a woman and accept who I am and I actually probably have um, something that I can bring to the table here Right. And I think that emotions have to do with that too. Not like I would be crying at work ever or anything like that, but I would get kind of moved emotionally when things would happen and the men really didn't. And I kind of had to remind myself, as long as I'm not like making a scene, like it's okay to be sad or to be offended by something. Um, because I do think that women, you know, our emotions tend to be a little more reactive. We can tend to feel something a little deeper. And I think that there's kind of a call right now, especially in our culture to kind of buck up, pull yourself up, you're fine, rub a little dirt on it. Um, (laughs) But you know, as women, like we're going to feel things deeper. And so that was another thing I would have to kind of remind myself a lot. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point that that's a natural part of our femininity. And that was part of um, something that I, I dealt with in my book, Momnipotent, where I was looking at feminine strengths. And it was talking about the feminine strength of sensitivity, which Sometimes we read wrong and we think it's a weakness. Like it's embarrassing, right? That you're bursting into tears. But gosh, what a gift to the world we are because we care so deeply about things and about the people that God places in our care. I don't know. You got to get comfortable shedding a few tears now and then. It's like it's worth it. It's worth it. What a gift to have that kind of deep love and that kind of deep caring about relationship and about your fellow human beings. That's a huge gift to the world. So we shouldn't be hiding it. We should take it out from under the bushel. I totally agree. Because think of how the world is going today. I mean, there's. I don't care who you voted for. No one thinks that the country's in a great place right now. I don't think. I don't think anybody thinks that, um, or the world in general. And right. I think to be a woman and to be moved emotionally fires you up to help be a positive change. I'm mm-hmm. not saying you need to go run for office or something, but whether it's like being kind to your own neighbor or donating something. I mean, those emotions spur us forward. If we didn't care, we would all just live in our own little bubbles and be like to hack with everyone else. Well, that's not what we were called to do at all. So true. I think that, you know, absolutely. That's one of the gifts we can give to one another, I think, is coming together as women. Maybe you can speak a little bit about that because part of what we do here at Girlfriends is I try to encourage a real community of women and I encourage women to seek out community with real girlfriends in their real lives as a not an optional part of your life. Like an important part of your life is getting together with other women and encouraging and affirming one another in your, your natural gifts, but then just also just being real with each other. Yes. I, we talk about that a lot on the podcast as well. I think that those in-person relationships are by far more important than these ones that we foster online. And we talk a lot about um, how it's one thing to be moved by something and make a tweet about it. Okay, great. That didn't really do anything. Right. <laughs> how about thinking how you can impact your own community? Um, so like when we have a pro-life person on the podcast, for instance, I got a lot of emails saying, well, I don't agree with her about this, this, this. And my response was kind of like, 
great, why don't you go find a woman in your life to talk to about this? Because you don't even know me. I don't mean to make that sound harsh, but I'm right. like, please don't make me anyone's spiritual director. I am not qualified for that business. <laughs> like, um, I really just recommend that people find women in their community that they can talk about this with. It's just so much different to be in person. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that's such a vital part of growing the faith. And it makes me kind of sad how many girls respond that they don't have that in their life. I wish everyone could have that. And I hope that if people don't, they're like actively seeking it out somehow. Um, Because I just think that's so important. And it just kind of goes to talk about doing what you can do. Um, I think that we can get really overwhelmed by, you know, who's leading the government or who made this decision or who made that decision. Well, you might not be able to do anything about immigration policy, for instance, but is there an immigration center in your neighborhood that you could volunteer with? Mm -hmm. That's awesome. You might not be able to overturn Roe vs. Wade, just you, but is there someone you know who's in a crisis pregnancy who you could help? I mean, that's how we're going to change the world. I don't really see policy as going anywhere great, to be honest. I feel like it's us getting fired up in our own communities with the own women that we know. Right. And I and I love that you're saying that because that's where women are uniquely gifted to do that. Like that right. one-on-one connection, that bonding, that communion with other people. Every human being is built for it, but women are especially gifted at it. Like we, you know, um, John Paul II said that we were, were teachers in the art of love. And what a beautiful idea that is. And what a privilege a daunting responsibility perhaps to teach others to love and that really is our calling as women inside of our homes in our families but in our communities at large because you need to step outside your walls definitely that's so important I we've talked about that with a couple different podcast guests how I don't know about everyone else but I can really just see the same type of people every day Mm -hmm. um if I don't like intentionally try to step out like a lot of my friends are catholic pretty much all my friends are white, pretty much all my friends are middle class. Um, And it's so important to kind of stretch your boundaries and get to know other type of people. Um, First of all, because Jesus told us to, but second of all, because that's how we're going to evangelize as well. That is how we're going to teach that love. We have to go to the people who don't believe they're loved and kind of bring them in our fold. But that can be really hard. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for sure, that would be definitely stepping outside some people's comfort zones. Um, But I I think you're right that we are called to do that each in our own way. Not everybody's called to go out and be a missionary or called to go out and, you know, bring in the neighborhood children or whatnot. But we are all called to engage with our community to some extent. So hiding in our our houses and doing Facebook connections, that's, you know, that's only worth so much. And I kind of liken it to um, like fast food for your soul, you know, that we really need Mm – real food you know we're, we're we know we know that we need to nourish our bodies yeah you can get by eating fast food junk food for a little bit and it, it kind of takes the hunger away but ultimately you're left hungry you're not getting that nutrition so I think the same is true with our souls we can feed them fast food if we're just making these like little relationships kind of connecting kind of feeling like we're engaging you know especially through online connections or even in our very comfortable friendships you know um, but what we're what we're really called to do is deeply engage with one another and be that support community for others but then also avail yourself of it because we all have that need for connections with other human beings especially um you know if you're feeling like that city set on a hill or the the light that set out um it, it's important that we encourage one another that we connect with one another right 
Um, and I just think with how divisive things are too, um, getting to know other people and connecting with them, that's going to help you to see them as a human and that's mm-hmm. going to help you to communicate with them. I'm just thinking specifically of like the pro-life, pro-choice debate. If yeah. you've never met someone who's pro-choice, are you really being that much help to the pro-life movement? I mean, that sounds kind of harsh, but if you don't know anyone like that and you're just picturing them as like these crazed baby killers or something, that's just very unhelpful. Right? Like it's so much more helpful to actually know people and love them first and then be able to engage with them in those conversations. But you can tell when someone's like never interacted with someone who thinks differently from them and it's really not attractive. It's not really someone that you want to be around. Right. And you know, I think it's so easy, especially in side of that debate to demonize the other person and to dehumanize them like you said that um I I always find it's helpful and I need the reminder as much as anybody else (laughs) that to remember these people aren't monsters they're human beings who are motivated and for the most part think they're doing something good you know they're they they think they're helping people um as even if they're they, they might be promoting something evil or immoral or ultimately is hurting other people helping them to see that um isn't going to happen by you screaming names in their face or you know telling other people that they're monsters exactly we had um abby johnson on the show and she was talking about how honestly the vast majority of people who worked at her planned parenthood really thought they were helping women they really did and it's like that's so important to remember because I totally have been guilty of hearing that someone works at Planned Parenthood or seeing like my friends posting about Planned Parenthood and just being like, ugh, they just don't even know. <laughs> like <laughs> this little, instead of trying to love them and thinking, wow, they really think they're being helpful and that's so sad and someone should talk to them about that. Right, right. <laughs> okay, well, now getting back to your podcast, I know you have um, a special e-retreat that I bumped into on Facebook the other night and I was intrigued. Maybe you can share with us a little bit about what that is. Yes, I'm so excited. We are doing a program called 40 Days to a Feminist Faith um, and it's from August 23rd to October 1st and it's basically like an e-course with a prayer component. So Mm -hmm. Every single day, people are going to receive an email, and it's going to be education on Catholic feminism. We're going through all kinds of topics like the history of the feminist movement and why being um, pro-life is being pro-woman, why Catholics feel the way they do about natural family planning, why they feel the way they do about the death penalty, poverty, racism, all these social justice issues. Um, and I really just wanted to make it like a crash course because I was hearing from so many women who felt like... Being a Catholic feminist, they had one foot in one world and one foot in the other. Mm -hmm. And like I said at the beginning, when people sit and take the time to learn what the church teaches, like literally reading through, um, you know, the letter on the dignity of women that John Paul II wrote or um, Laudato Si or all these amazing documents that we have, you see how church teaching really is the most feminist thing and that you shouldn't feel like you have one foot in each camp. You should feel totally united and unified with what you think. Um, Because so often, I mean, we just try to put people in boxes. We just want to shove people into boxes, like Mm -hmm. the Catholic box or the feminist box. Or even within Catholicism, I see a lot of people, you know, are are you a Benedict or are you a Francis? And it's like, we forget, like, we're (laughs) on the same team here. We are all on one team. We're all trying to get to heaven. We're all trying to get everybody else there. Um, And thinking through that is um, 
just a very, very important component of it. So I was, mm-hmm. I'm really excited to launch this program. I think that people are going to get a lot out of it and I can't wait to get started. Yeah. Okay. So tell me where, where can I go online to find out more about the e-retreat specifically? Definitely. People can head over to the Catholic feminist podcast.com slash feminist faith. And nice. it's 40 bucks. So it's a dollar a day and you get an email in your inbox and you get access to our private Facebook community where we're going to be doing weekly Q and A's. And we all commit to doing 15 minutes of prayer every day because I just really think that no matter how much you learn theologically until you've met the person of Jesus, you aren't going to be able to grow in your faith. Like we can't do anything without prayer. We can read all the documents. We could take all the sacraments, but prayer is just such a vital part of growing closer to Jesus. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And, a, and I think a really relevant thing, because that's actually something that I tried to address in my most recent book, You're Worth It, was that idea of, and part of me rejected it for some part of my life, a personal relationship with Jesus. Like, it sounds so corny, it sounds Protestant or whatever, but to me, I thought, you know, after I've talked to women about engaging, fully engaging with their vocation of motherhood and valuing who they are and who they're called to be and, you know, learning all the dignity and respect that comes with that vocation of motherhood, especially through the teachings of St. John Paul II, what do they need? Like, what do they need after that? I mean, they need what they needed in the beginning, and that's Jesus. And right. I, I think it really is just like, a, we need a call back to the basics, some of us inside of our, our Catholic faith that, um, you know, especially, I think, in my experience as a cradle Catholic, that sometimes those things are lost. Just sometimes that most basic message kind of can be lost in the shuffle a little bit. Like, you're, you're memorizing your prayers, or you're going to Catholic school, and you're, you know, you're going to church on Sunday, and all, you know, checking off all the boxes with the sacraments. And yet, that deep personal connection, I think, is missing for some of us. Exactly. I think that especially today, and I hate to say that social media has been a part of this, but I think it has. I just see so many arguments about really, I want to say trivial mm-hmm. things, um, just being really scrupulous and arguing about, well, this saint said this and this saint said that. That was actually an argument on our Facebook page the other day. Oh and gosh. I just wanted to be like, everybody, calm down. Jesus, serious. <laughs> like, we don't, great, you like that saint better. That's fine. I don't really care. They're both saints. <laughs> That's I know. Awesome. Um, let's get back to basics here again. Like we're all on the same team. Um, we just forget that so often. And what is the goal? It's Jesus in heaven. It's not like knowing every single book in the Bible cover to cover. It's Mm -hmm. not having the most prayers memorized. It's not doing the most liturgical crafts with our children. It's about heaven. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I know. And all of those are great things, but only in in as much as they're moving you closer toward heaven and you and your family. So I always do that. I, I encourage other people and I try to remember to do this myself. Like when you're evaluating your daily life, you know, at the end of the day, like was today a good day or a bad day? Well, did you move yourself and others closer to heaven? If you did, that was a good day. I don't care if the dishes are still sitting in the sink or if you never got to that activity with the kids you were meaning to do or whatever it is. Like that's the the ruler by which we should be measuring ourselves. Exactly. I have a pile of laundry in the corner looking at it right now. It's been there for four days, whatever. <laughs> uh, you're, yeah, and the, the danger is leaving it there so long you don't see it anymore because <laughs> I've got a few hot spots in my house that uh, fit that description. Yeah, just turn a blind eye. <laughs> I know. Well, it's so funny because you reminded me just this morning, um, I ended up I ended up picking it up because I did see it, but it had been a full week that this, this cardboard box that – um, we got a package delivered and the cardboard box was there and one of the dogs just kind of chewed the side of it. And then there's just this chewed up cardboard box sitting like 
on the floor next to the couch in my living room. I left it there for the longest time, the most embarrassing long time. And finally today I'm like, why have I never just picked this up and put it in the recycling? Like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> We've but, all been there. I know. And we and we all experience that. But that's why it's so important because if, if it were about that, um, you know, I would be the biggest loser and I would feel like um, just a failure every single day, you know. So thank goodness it's not about that of course those things and those daily physical things and all of our duties and our activities are you know and the good things we do for our families are part of our vocation but we need to remember that that's not the end all be all that's not the where our focus is meant to be exactly i love that yeah so true all right well maybe um share with us just a little bit about your family because i know for me um my identity as a catholic changed when i became a mom like did you experience that as well Oh, heck yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I am married to a very wonderful, holy man who's Polish and loves John Paul II. Nice, (laughs) of course. Um, And I have a 15-month-old. And I think that the main way – he's changed me a lot. But I think the main way he's changed me is that I've never, ever had to sacrifice this much, which sounds really, like, dreary. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, like, motherhood is so hard. Um. And it's really great. I love it a lot, but it is hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I tell Chris a lot, it's the thing that you, like even your job, you can call in sick to, but you can't call in sick to being a mom ever. Every second of the day, someone else's needs come above yours. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have never had to experience that. I mean, maybe (laughs) I should have been more that way with my husband before he had a baby because I'm like, this is just intense. Um, Like, just little things like he always wants to eat the food I'm eating so unless he can eat it I can't have a snack in front of him I have to wait until he like (laughs) takes a nap if I don't want him to eat what I'm gonna eat like ice cream or something um it's just those little things but they seriously have changed me so much and I work a lot which I always have worked a lot but I used to find I think a lot more of my identity in work um, and in like being a hard worker and getting the most done Mm -hmm. and it's kind of been interesting to see how it just seems a lot less important like I still work Mm -hmm. hard and I still get it done but it's definitely not like the center of my world by any means and I'm willing to like maybe not do an A++ job on something or have something Mm -hmm. done a little later than I would have liked because my son is being really funny and goofy and running around the apartment and I want to do that. Right. <laughs> I want to sit and write. About, I write about like wedding dresses for my job. It's not like I am writing foreign policy <laughs> over here. So sometimes I'm just like, wait a second. I have to take myself so much less seriously because this mm-hmm. just really isn't that important. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's one of the greatest gifts that motherhood gives to us is that perspective. And um, especially being a mom at home, whether you're balancing work with that or not, I think it does, it puts all of that work stuff, all that outside stuff, those outside accomplishments into proper perspective, don't you think? It totally, totally does. The other thing I think that I've learned from him too is that um, he – gets so mad every morning when he wakes up that he's not going to get to eat. Like he wakes up super hungry. And the (laughs) other day I just was like, Benjamin, and I know he can't understand me, but I said to him, you eat every morning. Why every morning do you act like I am not going to feed you? (laughs) I'm 
<laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I do that to God every second of my life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yep. freaking out that he's not going to give me things that he gives me all the time, like his mercy and his love and his attention. He gives them, he lavishes them on me. And I still am like Benjamin in the morning, like, oh, where is my food? <laughs> Just freaking out. So that's been another good, makes me feel like I'm on the same level as a 15 month old. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I've experienced that time and time again. It, there's a reason that God calls us you know, his children, because we are, and that is how we are to him. We take him for granted the way that children do. We abuse him the way that children do. We lose faith the way that children do. And we're, we're just so dependent upon him in the way that our children are upon us. So it really is a beautiful image there that I think he really means for us to find inside of our parenthood. Yeah, I had a friend who was telling me that um, she took her kids out to dinner, which they have like three kids. So, you know, it's pretty expensive, kind of a big deal to like go out to dinner. And then on the way home, her son wanted ice cream. And she was like, oh, we're not going to have ice cream tonight. We just had dinner. We're going to it's bedtime. We're going to go home and go to bed. And he flipped out and was like, you never give me anything. And she was so (laughs) mad. And then she was like, oh, it's like how God gives us really great things. But we always just want more and more and more. (laughs) Right. And you throw a fit when you don't get the exact thing that you asked for. Yep. I know it. I know it. So many lessons there. Well, Claire, I really want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us here on Girlfriends. So um, before we have to go, can you just let us know again, where can people find out more about the Catholic Feminist Podcast and also the e-retreat that you're promoting online? Yeah. So they can head to the catholicfeministpodcast.com slash feminist faith. That's where the e-retreat is. And from there, you can get to the website and all that good stuff. And we're also on Instagram a lot because I love Instagram. So you can check us out at Instagram.com slash The Catholic Feminist. Awesome. We'll have all of that linked up in the show notes as well. So thank you so much, Claire. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Claire Swinarski from The Catholic Feminist Podcast. Thanks for coming on. God bless you and all you do. Thank you. See what I mean? Claire's great. I love Claire. So I hope you will check out her podcast and everything else that she's sharing online. She is on fire and you want to be a part of that energy. All right, before we move on, I want to take a moment to thank all of you who support the Girlfriends podcast through Patreon. For those who aren't familiar with it, Patreon at patreon.com forward slash girlfriends is a simple system that allows you to pledge as little as $1 per episode to show your appreciation and support of Girlfriends. And it really does encourage me to continue to produce the show week after week. Your support on patreon.com is more meaningful than you know. So thank you so much to those of you who are doing it or for considering becoming a patron. Patreon supporter of Girlfriends Podcast. I also want to thank Ascension Press for partnering with me to bring you this podcast. You can check out all of their other podcasts and other Catholic media. They've got everything over there that will entertain you and inspire you and educate you about your Catholic faith. You can check it out at ascensionpresents.com. All right, now I've got a little bit of feedback to share with you. Uh, First, I have an email from Louise. Um, Hello, Danielle. My name is Louise. I'm from Manitoba, Canada. My husband and I have two boys. Mark is almost two and Jacob is five months old. At the beginning of your latest podcast, you mentioned making a podcast about how to keep your kids in the Catholic faith. I would love to hear about that. Growing up, I wouldn't say we were hardcore Catholics. We went to Mass on Sundays, but that's it. No grace before meals, no family rosaries. As I raise our sons, I'd like some concrete ideas as to how to keep the Catholic spark alive as they grow up. I'm the youngest of 
of five children and the only truly practicing Catholic. It can be a bit awkward at family functions because we are a tight family and do lots together, but I always hesitate to share my conservative opinions or explain why church events are so important in our life. If you could talk about ways to share the faith with people who are close to you, it would be awesome to hear your perspective. I love how you make suggestions that are doable and not overwhelming. Most blogs or books have a super mom expectation, but you seem to know how to present ideas in a totally relatable way. Thanks so much for your podcast, Louise. Thank you so much, Louise. I really appreciate that. It's always encouraging to me when people share that they don't find what I share to be overwhelming or um, make them feel bad about themselves, because that really is my goal, is to encourage and support you with what I share here. And I know all too well that feeling of overwhelm or that feeling of I can never match up that you can sometimes get when you're reading um, books and other things that other people like find inspiring and encouraging. You know, I've had people recommend stuff to me and they say it's the most encouraging thing they ever read and I read it and I feel bad about myself. So I really appreciate that feedback. Um, I'm glad to hear that I'm hitting the mark with regard to that balance. As for the topic, I definitely will do it because you're not the only person I heard from um, that is interested in um, a show about keeping your kids Catholic. And, um, you know, I'll just be exploring that topic. I'm by no means an expert and I'm not done raising my kids. So <laughs> I can't exactly rest on my laurels and say, oh, here's how I did it perfectly. Um, but I'll, I'll share some of what I've experienced, you know, growing up in a Catholic family. Um, I think a lot of what people look for these days with regard to encouragement in Catholic family life is just seeing how others do it. Um, getting a little peek at, you know, inside of someone else's windows. That's what I found so encouraging early on in blogging. When people were first blogging um, in the Catholic blogosphere, I found it was really encouraging to me to just get a chance to see how other people were living out their faith lives. Yeah, the, the opposite can happen too, where it's discouraging, like you see perfection displayed somewhere and it's hard to feel like you could live up to it. But for the most part, I found it really just interesting. And now I've kept in touch with a lot of those women that I met through blogging and I see the different ways in which their family lives are changing some in good ways and some in not so good ways and I think just sharing all of that is really it's really ultimately what's you know helpful and encouraging to us as we're working to do this thing together so um yes Louise I definitely will do that I don't know if I'll do it next week um <laughs> this podcast is not so carefully planned out for the coming weeks, but it really should be. I should have my topics uh, planned out so I'll be prepared. And generally, I'm a little bit more organized about that. So I'm going to put together a topic list for the coming weeks. And um, yeah, that definitely will be a part of what I'm planning to do. So stay tuned for that one. Okay, next up, I hear from Bridget, who also emailed. She said, Hi, Danielle, I'm Bridget, a 44-year-old mom of six kids in Missouri, just outside of St. Louis. Just had to give you a huge thanks for your podcast. I love it. I listen to it while I'm walking my dog or out for a run. I can't tell you the number of times you say exactly what I'm thinking. It's encouraging for me to listen because my kids are a couple of years younger than yours, ranging from kindergarten to junior in high school. So I love hearing what is to come with college, etc. I've thought of writing so many times, but this week you really struck a chord when you talked about The Mother's Rule of Life. That's the book we mentioned in last week's podcast. That book and that particular recommendation about the Saturday Sabbath caused me so much anxiety when I read it years ago. I was thinking, what is wrong with me in my marriage that I cannot in a million years imagine asking my husband, who works 50 to 55 hours per week and commutes about an hour a day year round for this chunk of time? I must be married to a jerk, <laughs> which of course is ridiculous. He's a good guy, but he has stuff he wants to do on Saturdays too. And our kids have stuff going on as well. 
Anyhow, so many things you say and topics you cover resonate with me. I did Momnipotent at our parish about four years ago. Loved that and loved reading your various publications over the years in Faith and Family. I still miss that magazine and your blogs, but I love your podcast because it's just like talking with a friend. Sometimes I catch myself laughing at the end of my walk with the dog, as I imagine it would be if you lived next door to me. We would have a ton of fun and would not get anything done because I think we're both talkers. Keep up the good work and thanks for all you're doing. Peace, Bridget. Thank you so much, Bridget. That was so sweet. And um, I wish you were my neighbor. <laughs> and you're right. Maybe it's best. Maybe we just would talk too much. <laughs> I often find, um, like when I go and do conferences or go and speak somewhere, that uh, there are people who listen to what I share on the podcast or who have been reading me, you know, through the years, and they really feel like they know me. And um, sometimes that can be awkward if I, if you know, if we don't really click. But usually we do really click because. People who put up with what I've shared over the years, we have something in common, you know? <laughs> people who tuned me out because they couldn't stand it years ago, I'm not going to click with those people. But the people who really have been listening and um, connecting with me, whether it's through my writing or through podcasts, um, it's great. And it really does feel like instant friend. And um, I hope I'll, I'll make it out to St. Louis maybe um, sometime, Bridget, and we can meet up in person. Um, so I... I love that you shared about the the mother's rule of life, that that was your same experience, because I think this is something that we do sometimes without meaning to. And it's really destructive, especially to our marriages, to compare ourselves, compare our family lives, compare our marriages to others. And, um, you know, that book was was helpful in so many ways, as I shared last week. But that particular suggestion um and, and I don't think she, like I said last week, I don't think Holly Pierlo in that book, Mother's Rule of Life, for those of you who haven't listened to the episode, um, we were talking about the book and the way that she laid out sort of a plan for balance. It was really, you know, working out a rule for your life, the same way that like a monk lives by a rule, you know, Benedict's rule. Um, and it was really, I, I found that book years ago. Gosh, it's probably over 15 years ago that it was published. Um, anyway, you can still find it. It's still in print. It's still popular. It's called Mother's Rule of Life by Holly Pierlo. She spells her last name P. I-E-R-L-O-T. Um, she's Canadian. And I think, you know, she shared in that book that that layout of how she was doing it in her own life. And that included a Saturday Sabbath for herself, where she just completely could do whatever she wanted on a Saturday. And her husband was responsible for the kids in the household. Um, and, you know, Bridget, like me, had the same response, like, oh, my gosh, I could never even do that. But and I think that the, the destructive part isn't noticing a difference between ourselves and others. The destructive part is the next thought which is what's wrong with me or I must be married to a jerk um, look how generous that husband is in the way that he's supporting his wife that's where the destruction comes in we really need to be focused on our own relationships our own family life our own marriage because every single one is so unique it's so different it's its own thing and you're the expert in it so I think that's a really helpful reminder Bridget and I'm glad you had the same response because now we could tell each other there's nothing wrong with you there's nothing wrong with your marriage everybody's different and that was what Holly needed at that point in her life she's probably not even in that place anymore and uh, you need to focus on what you need in your life and figure that out and, and work that out inside of your own marriage so thanks for the reminder Bridget I really appreciate it and thanks for connecting this week Okay, next up, I got an email this week from Tammy about 
empty nesting. Tammy says, Danielle, I've been listening to your podcast for about the past month, mostly skipping around to different topics, and I've really enjoyed it. My husband and I became empty nesters last fall, and I'm wondering if that's a topic you'd consider talking about on your podcast. We have three kids, one out of college and two in college. For a number of reasons, last year was a little crazy, and I don't think I was fully confronted with the empty nest for the first half of the year because I was distracted by the need to work more and other increased demands on my time. Then, as often happens, the two in college came home for the summer starting in May. Yes, I know what that's like. I have to say, through it all, I have not yet been able to find a new groove. Also, transitioning from just my husband and I, who travels quite a lot for work, back to four or five of us in terms of shopping, cooking, keeping house, etc., has posed its own kinds of challenges. I'm right there with you, Tammy. (laughs) Certainly, they are adults and capable of taking care of themselves, but at the same time, they are working to make money to pay for school. And we like to help them by providing food and meals that they stay healthy and don't have to pay to eat out. Yet summer schedules for everyone seem pretty spontaneous and make that favorite topic of meal planning particularly challenging. And in three weeks, we will transition back to just the two of us. If any of your other listeners have tips for making transitions back and forth and finding a new path when one of your primary roles and time demands, mom with kids at home changes, I would love to hear from it. I'm working on finding new things I want to do and uh, add an additional purpose to my day-to-day life, but it's definitely a process. I also recognize that it starts with prayer as I try to discern what new purpose and my new groove are. I know I'm not the first one to work through these transitions, so any advice from moms on the other side of also navigating this transition would be wonderful. I think much of your audience may not quite be at this phase of life yet, but a little advice in advance is always nice to have. Thanks for the time and effort you put into your show, Tammy. Thank you, Tammy. And um, I I hear you. I think this is a good topic. And um, I don't know, I, maybe it's one I'll consider doing an entire show on maybe about transitions, because even if you're not looking at an empty nest in your immediate future. We all go through different transitions in our family life and they're hard sometimes. It's hard. Like if you're a mom at home and you start to go back to work part-time or um, you're, you're a mom at home with little kids and then they start going to school and it's like you're figuring out what, what you're going to do. Um, or if you're, you're transitioning from sending your kids to school to homeschooling, I know some people who are doing that, very challenging. Or the opposite of that, transitioning from homeschooling to sending your kids to school. Or, you know, transitioning to having high school kids or kids who are driving or there's always transitions. Um, empty nest happens to be a very dramatic one. And I feel you because it feels like, Tammy, it's you're not you're not fully doing it. And maybe that's a blessing because you kind of get these little breaks in the whole empty nest thing. Um, I find it um, challenging to transition from our school year routine, which is one way where we've got our, our two biggest boys are out of the house um, to our, what's happened this summer, which feels I shared in the podcast at the beginning of the summer, like, how on earth can I fit all these people in my house? Like we have expanded to fill the space that was left by these two big boys moving out for the school year. And um, we're feeling cramped. So uh, we have adjusted to that. But I know like now we're going to adjust to having fewer people at home in a different schedule. And it is challenging. Um, but I think you've got the right idea, Tammy, the idea of focusing on prayer and focusing on what your new thing can be. Not that it has to be some major thing, not like you have to launch some new career or, um, you know, become a professional dancer or whatever. It doesn't have to be dramatic, but 
figuring out like where God's calling you to use your time right now, because you are going to have time. Um, you are going to be freed up on evenings and weekends, even if you're working full time. It's very different when you're not, as you know, providing you know, meals and laundry for a great number of people every day. Things slow down a little bit. And um, I, I do, I think you're on the right track with focusing on prayer and prayerfully trying to figure out where God's calling you because he has a plan for you. And I found that through, this is like the number one thing that helps me through transitions, which can be emotional, can be hard. Let's face it. We moms, we don't, we don't like our little birdies to leave the nest. <laughs> it's tough. There are things that are hard about it, but focusing on the positive about it, because there are positive, there are good things. And you know what? When my big boys go back, I'm going to go back and listen to, uh, I don't remember the number episode, but it was last fall when we drove Ambrose all the way to Florida and left him there, left my baby boy in Florida. And I was a wreck and I was a mess. And I did that podcast. Um, I think I called it The Art of Letting Go. Anyway, I'll link to it in the show notes this week so that you can have access to it. And other people can because it's a time of transition. It's hard, but it's important to be focusing on the positive things and the positive directions that God is calling us to inside of our lives, inside of those changes that we sometimes find so difficult. And just like that, we've come to the end of another show. It always goes by so fast. I love spending this time here with you. So I want to thank you so much just for being here. Thank you for spending this time with me and connecting with me this way on Girlfriends. I know we are all busy and it really means a lot that you spend some of your time connecting with me here at Girlfriends and contributing and being a part of this community, even if you're silently a part of this community and just add to um, our, our prayer together as community. There are so many things um, that so many of us need. And I want to encourage you in the coming week to pray for your fellow girlfriends. Let's pray for each other. Let's, let's encourage each other. So thanks for being a part of what I do. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a DanielleBean.com production. Know your worth, find your joy. 